You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. We'll be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5 today, verses 17 through 25. We're going to talk about the care of elders. Last week we talked about the care of widows. Today we're going to talk about the care of elders and why we should care about the care of elders. So let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, these instructions that you're giving us today in this letter to Timothy. We pray, Lord, that we would see the importance of them, that would, we would see the value that you've placed in these uh, things that you've given us. We pray, Lord, that as we look at the role and the care of elders, that we would be faithful to care for our elders in a way that would honor you. We thank you, Father, that you are in charge of this universe. We know that things are somewhat uh, disturbed right now in our world. We thank you, Lord, that you have everything in hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so elders, care of elders. First of all, in verse 17, you'll notice that it says elders, plural, more than one. So what do we know about elders? Well, we know that in Ephesus, there were multiple elders because in Acts 20, Paul called them to talk to them and there was a group. So there was a team of elders. In fact, the only place in the New Testament that the, word, that the word elder is used in the singular when it refers to the church office is right here in 1 Timothy 5.19 where it says an elder. But you notice it doesn't say the elder. 
Elders in the New Testament churches were always a team of men. So the word is plural. There's a team of elders. And Paul says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So the job of the elders is to rule in the church. What does that word mean? Well, it means preside or guide. But why does he say, why does he make the distinction between elders that rule well and other elders? Obviously, there's a distinction. Let the elders that rule well, and he goes on to talk. So wouldn't we expect all elders to rule well? It seems like we would expect that. Uh, so why is, why is it stated this way? Well, I think first, you have to remember the context of this letter. Uh, why is Timothy there and why is Paul writing to him? Paul and Timothy were visiting the churches. They roll up to the Ephesian church in Ephesus and they start hearing these things about false teaching and people teaching things that they shouldn't be teaching. So Paul says, okay, well, I've got to go on to Macedonia. Timothy, you stay here and you tell these people to quit doing that. So obviously there's problems in the Ephesian church with what's being taught. So if the elders were all ruling well, probably you would not be having this problem. So the specific context of this letter is to a church where there's some issues, obvious issues. Secondly, we don't live in an ideal world and we don't have ideal churches and we don't have ideal elders. So sometimes elders may fail to lead well, but the ones who do lead well are to be recognized for their work. So let's look at some scripture to try and get an idea since it's talking about ruling well, what that is, what is ruling well. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 1 and 2. No, 1 through 4 in 1 Peter chapter 5. There is a 1 Peter here, I know. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So one thing we see about elders is that they are not to serve for gain, they're not to serve for as exercising power over the church. They're not to serve in a way that would 
um, be constraining, either for them or for the other people, but there to be examples. There to be examples to the flock to serve the church. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. We mentioned the Ephesian elders. This is where Paul calls them. Uh, he's on the way to Jerusalem, and he calls the elders at Ephesus to give them an exhortation and a warning in Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul tells the Ephesian elders to feed the church and watch for wolves. Let's look at John chapter 21. This again emphasizes the fact of feeding and feeding and leading for a shepherd are synonymous because that's how the shepherd fed the sheep. He led them along to places where they could eat. So John 21, this is where we find that Peter has denied the Lord three times during his crucifixion. He denied that he was a disciple and he denied that he even knew the Lord. And in John 21, 15, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So Jesus is emphasizing the role that Peter is going to have and the role that all elders have in feeding the sheep. To shepherd, to lead and feed, that's the word here, shepherd my sheep. And we have to remember, when we're thinking about shepherds and sheep, we need to think of the Middle Eastern shepherd, not the North American shepherd, because the Middle Eastern shepherd leads the sheep, like in Psalm 23 we read, he leads me. The sheep follow the shepherd. The shepherd goes, the sheep follow, single file or two by two, and they follow him wherever he goes. He takes them to pasture, he takes them to water. He does everything with the sheep, they follow him wherever. Back to the fold, out of the fold the next day. 
He calls them, they follow. So that's the picture that we need to have when we're talking about elders shepherding in the church. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. This is not written to the elders, but it's written to the people regarding the elders. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So these elders have been given the official authority. That's what it means here when it says who have the rule over you. They have been granted official authority to lead in the church. But they've also been entrusted with the guardianship of our souls. And they will give an account to God for how they took care of us and for how we took care of them. So that's Hebrews chapter 13. We'll look at one more as far as ruling well, what it means to rule well. And we'll look at the example of Jesus describing his role as a shepherd in John chapter 10. John 10 verse 11 through 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep have I, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my word, my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So the new sheep are also going to recognize Jesus' voice. That's us as Gentiles. So Jesus here is saying that because the shepherd has ownership in the sheep, he will sacrifice for the sheep. He's not a hireling. He's not someone who will run away when trouble comes. So what have we seen here as far as what it means to rule well? Presiding over and guiding the church well. Shepherding, that is leading and feeding the people in the church. Think of the Middle Eastern shepherd and the sheep following along. Not by force and not for gain, not by exercising power, but by being an example. Exercising official responsibility to watch over souls and give an account to God. And finally, the elders to rule well lay down their lives for their people rather than run away when difficulty or danger comes. So let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Double honor. What is that? Well, the word there can mean two times as much. Uh, but I don't think that we're looking at a 
mathematical formula here, I think what is being said is the greater honor needs to go to this group of people. And we'll talk about who that is. Um, so what is honor? Well, as we talked about last week when we addressed supporting widows, honor is respect, but it also means support and financial support specifically. So as, as regarding respect, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll see there instructions on how to honor elders. 1 Thessalonians 5. I found it this time. I about didn't find it in the first service. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and those are elders, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So what it means to honor is to esteem them very highly for their work's sake. Because they are laboring hard, they are working. This, this is a difficult job that they're doing and we should esteem them highly and highly regard them because of the job that they have. <laughs> Honoring elders means that we should follow them as they follow Christ. If we do not honor them, we will not follow them. If we are not following them, then we are not honoring them. So that's how we should respect our elders in the church. So it, also, it means respect, it also means pay. That is money or value. Uh, last week we mentioned that we still see this in English in our word honorarium. If we have a speaker come to an event, we pay them an honorarium. It's not a salary or a, a hourly wage and it's not a gift. It's a payment in honor of the service that they provided. It's an honorarium, and that's what is meant here when Paul talks about giving these elders double honor. And that's clear because if we look at verse 18, it says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. The apostle is quoting here from the law, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4 about the ox, muzzling the ox. And then he's quoting the Lord Jesus, which is recorded in Luke 10, 7, the laborer is worthy of his reward. And there are many references in the New Testament about paying elders. Um, so we're not going to go into that in depth, but we are instructed to support elders and to honor them with the, in financial ways because the work that they do is such an important responsibility and office in the church that we don't want them to shortcut that in any way 
because of not having the resources or the time to carry out their duties. We want them to be able to serve to the fullest extent that they can. They want, we want them to do it right. So supporting elders financially not only honors them, but it can free up their time to be engaged in the work that God has given them to do in the church. I think it's also interesting that Paul uses this example of the ox treading out the grain, threshing out the grain, because that's the way I see uh, uh, preparing to preach an expository sermon. You're going over and over the scripture, and you're finding those things that the Lord wants you to say at that particular time from the scripture. So uh, that's just a side note. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind here. But it's uh, interesting to me that that process is very similar. So let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine or teaching. So among the elders that rule well, we have this category of elders that rule well. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a distinction made here between those who are laboring in the word and doctrine and those who are not. So what is happening here? Well, as I said, the word laboring means to work hard to the point of fatigue or exhaustion. So this is hard work that we're recognizing. But what's the difference between those who labor in the word and teaching and those who don't? And so what's going on? Well. I'm going to risk using a sports analogy here. If you know me, you know that that's uh, not real safe because I'm not a sports enthusiast. <clears throat> but consider a baseball team. So all the players are on the same team. And all the players bat. However, all the players do not bat equally well in fact, some players are on the team because of their batting ability, and some players are on the team in spite of their batting ability. <laughs> so this, their strengths lie in the particular position that they play on the team, not in their ability to bat. And the council of elders in a local church like, G, like GBC is a team that's been chosen by the Holy Spirit, and each elder brings different gifts both strengths and weaknesses to the elder council, to the council of elders. Like some baseball players are better at playing first base or pitching, others are better at batting. Um, the elders of a church are designed to work together as a team. So what does it mean to labor in the word and doctrine? The public proclamation and explanation of the word is the primary way that elders lead and feed the church. That is how primarily we are led to follow Jesus and we are taught and encouraged in the scripture is by the public proclamation of God's word. So that is the main thing. And this is how elders equip us for the work of ministry, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, so that we can be mature, 
And this is why God has given pastors and teachers to the church. It's for that purpose. But the question then comes, so if some elders are working hard in the word and teaching, what are the other elders doing? Well, first of all, they're still teaching because the qualification of an elder says that they are apt to teach. And that means not only that they have the ability to teach, but they have the inclination and the disposition to teach. In other words, elders are teachers. This may take the form of public preaching or one-on-one -on -one teaching or counseling or writing or general guidance of the church in decision-making. Those are all ways to teach. And these elders who are not primarily laboring in the word and doctrine could have their strengths in other positions on the elder team because in addition to the teaching, excuse me, there are other ways that the elders lead and feed the church. One way that comes to mind immediately is in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, where the apostles have appointed the seven to take care of the widows so that they won't be taken away from their ministry, what they say is, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer, as well as the ministry of the word, is vital to the church. It's vital to us as individuals, it's vital to elders, and it's vital to them leading the church. Prayer is essential. Prayer is not a ministry where you're standing up in front of the church necessarily and praying, but prayer is a ministry that the apostles thought was primary and I think that we should see as primary also. When we read Acts 20, it, we talked about watchful discernment. When we looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, personal and corporate admonition or correction are other ways that the elders can be serving. 1 Peter 5, we saw personal example. Hebrews 13, guarding our souls. All those things are ministries of the elders that are not necessarily uh, in the work of the word and teaching. So the public proclamation and explanation of the word is the primary way that elders lead and feed the church. There are many other areas on the team that need to be filled by men who are gifted for those duties. And so we see that is the distinction that Paul's making here. So verse 19, we go from supporting to uh, accusations here. Verse 19, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So what is, what is being described here? Well, first of all, it's still in the process of caring for elders. This is still a way that we care for our elders. But what is he talking about? Well, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that this requirement for two or three witnesses comes from the law. He's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 19. So this is a formal complaint. 
You're not going to receive any kind of formal complaint against an elder unless there's two or three witnesses. Anything else is gossip and rumors. He says in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 19.15, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin or any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So we're talking about, in the context, an accusation of sin. We're talking about a sin that this elder is accused of doing. And it requires at least two people to give testimony in public that the elder is doing this in order for the council of elders to take any action, official action, on it. That does not mean, however, that if we hear a rumor about an elder, that we shouldn't go and find out what's going on. Not an accusation, but ask, okay, this is what I heard, what can you tell me about it? The elders should take that role actively, and we as sheep shouldn't be afraid to do that also. Not an accusation, but to find out what's going on with the rumor. So what does sin mean in verse 20? I think we know what sin means. But in verse 20, it is the form of the present active participle, which really means we would say um, those who are sinning. Or the NASB says those who continue to sin. That's the form of the word there. Now I think it goes without saying that if an elder is found to have committed you know, blatant sin, a moral failure of some kind or something like that, that uh, we would not go to them and ask them uh, to repent and stay an elder. Okay, they're out. They have disqualified themselves from being an elder if they have that kind of a moral failure or blatant sin in their lives. But I think the wording here is more addressing uh, the case of an elder that is continuing in any kind of a sin. And there seems to be some grace here in the wording that would allow for correction or for repentance and public confession of less flagrant sins that might head off the need for a public rebuke of the elder. In other words, if you're saying that person is continuing to sin, that means you knew about it before, so you're probably going to say something to, about it, something to them about it. Okay, so you go to a person, you say, hey, you're sinning, what about this? And they say, oh, you're right, I repent. And they publicly say, I was sinning. This is what uh, I did, and I asked God for forgiveness, and I'm asking you for forgiveness. That's not necessarily a case for rebuke of an elder, the way I'm looking at this, because of the fact that it says those who keep on sinning or continue to sin. Either case, the sin is to be addressed publicly in either case. So what does the rebuke before all entail? Well, the word means to convict, like to convict of a crime, or expose with a view towards stopping it. So this is something we're, we're attempting to stop what's happening by this action that we're taking. All is the whole church. Now the elders may be the ones who investigate and decide what should be done. 
but to rebuke before all is to rebuke before the whole church. And this is done so it says that the rest of the elders may be fearful of sinning. The rebuke would include removal from eldership. If this formal action is taken and an elder is rebuked, he'd be removed from eldership because they would have been shown not to be qualified any longer to be an elder. If they were to continue in unrepentant sin after being rebuked, then they would be removed from the church as with any member who would continue in unrepentant sin after they were confronted about their sin. So verse 21, I charge thee before God, Paul says, and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So when you have a legal document that's going to be binding on you or on other people, frequently you have to have witnesses to that document being signed. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He is calling in witnesses. He says, I'm telling you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, do this. Actually, he's saying, don't do this. He's saying, don't prefer one before another. And that means to prejudge or to make a decision before you've heard the facts. We would say, be prejudiced. And then doing nothing by partiality. And that means favoritism. That means before you hear the facts, you're already leaning toward the fact that, well, I think this guy probably is more reliable as far as what he's saying. Uh, so I'm going to pay more attention to him than I am the other people in this instance. That's favoritism. Uh, that's leaning toward one way. Paul says, don't do that. Do not prejudge what has happened and do not show favoritism in these issues. And when he says to observe these things, again, the word is for guard. It's like a jailer sitting down to observe a prisoner. He's guarding him. Paul wants Timothy to guard these things. What things? Well, the things that he's talking about as far as the care of elders. So verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. So the laying on of hands refers to ordination. That's how they ordained their elders. Um, they laid hands on them. And he says, don't do it suddenly. And the word is hastily or hurriedly. In other words, this is not a rushed job to get elders ordained or to get this particular elder ordained. And the reason is, why? Well, we'll see that in a minute. So does this refer to the initial ordination of an elder? 
Or does this refer to what he's just been talking about, an elder that was rebuked and restoring him to his office? Well, I don't see um, anything that really tells us one way or another. Um, I think it would apply to both. In either case, if you're in a hurry, if you're rushing, if you think it's you know, important that we do this right away, Paul said, don't do that. And the reason is, the last part of the verse, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Because if we put leaders in place who are actually not qualified, then that reflects on us. We are responsible for that. We have the responsibility for those that we place as leaders. And if we put people in place who are not qualified, who will not rule well, who are sinning, then we will be partakers, in a sense, of that sin. And Paul says by avoiding this, that Timothy can keep himself pure. That is, pure from the sins of other men who he would have appointed hastily. So this raises the question, which we're not going to really get into too much today, of whether an elder should be restored, and if so, when. If an elder has sinned, and they've been removed from their eldership, should they be restored? There's not much in Scripture that I've found that directly uh, bears on that. There are some examples. We have the example of Peter, who denied Jesus, as we read, and Jesus restored him. Um, if it is a flagrant case of unrepentant sin, an elder may never be able to be restored to his position as an elder because he's shown himself to be unqualified to shepherd the church. But in any case, it takes time to build trust, and once that trust is broken, it takes much more time to rebuild it. So Paul's advice here to not be in a hurry would go even more for restoring an elder that had sinned. And we should not be in a hurry to restore an elder that's been publicly rebuked for sinning. So, verse 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. What is that doing here in this passage? Because we're talking about care of elders... We're talking about supporting elders. We're talking about disciplining elders. We're talking about the caution that we should have in appointing elders. And now Paul says to Timothy, uh, don't just drink water, drink a little wine too for your stomach and your infirmities. Well, I think what prompted this, it seems to me is when Paul says in verse 22, when he's writing this letter, he says, keep thyself pure. He remembers that Timothy is um, a teetotaler. That's what the word means here when in the verse, that he doesn't drink any wine, he only drinks water. And Paul says, I'm not talking about that kind of purity. I'm talking about the kind of purity of partaking in other people's sins. It would be okay for you 
since you have frequent sickness, to use a little wine, it probably means mix it in water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy oft infirmities. So Paul is clarifying the kind of purity he's talking about. It isn't about Timothy's uh, refusal to drink wine. It's about the kind of purity that would involve you in the sins of other men. So Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine. And it means a little. And it means probably mixed in water. And wine was thought to be uh, have medicinal value at that time. And in fact, uh, studies today show that it does have medicinal value. Uh, it's been shown to have antibacterial properties. Uh, in addition to the alcohol, I mean the, the, the uh, components of the wine has antibacterial properties. And also, unlike other alcohol drinks, um, it boosts the immune system rather than suppressing it. So Paul's giving Timothy good advice. You know, today we have water that's tested by all kinds of people and the federal government has standards and, uh, you know, we have things in it to keep bacteria from growing. In that day, uh, they didn't have that. So Paul's giving Timothy good advice. And I think it's based on the fact that he says, keep yourself pure, but pure like this and not necessarily the other way. So verses 24 and 25, these are also a little difficult to understand, and there are quite a few opinions about what this means. We'll read them again. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So does this refer to final judgment when we stand before God? Does this refer to uh, their evaluation as elders and leaders in the church? What, does this, what is this talking about? Well, I think it goes back to Paul's instruction not to lay hands suddenly on anyone. Don't be hasty. So this is how I would paraphrase it. Some men are obviously disqualified to be elders because of their sins. With others, with others, excuse me, it takes some time to find out that they are disqualified. Some men seem qualified to be elders right away. With others, it takes some time to see their qualifications. So I think this refers back to Paul's, Paul's stress here on not being in a hurry to ordain elders. So this is a very practical section. It's got good application on how we're to treat our elders, what we do to show honor and respect to them, following them, supporting them. Um, but why should we care about caring for elders? What's important about caring for elders? Why have we talked about this today? Well, because it's vital for the truth of the gospel. 1 Timothy 3, Paul says here, in describing the church, he describes the church as the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 
God has entrusted the truth of the gospel to local churches. And he has entrusted local churches to their elders. The truth of the gospel depends on us being faithful as a church and the elders being faithful in their duties. Only the true gospel honors and glorifies God in the way that he deserves to be honored and glorified, and it will throughout eternity. Only the true gospel can save us from the wrath of God. And God has entrusted that truth to local churches. He has entrusted the churches to their elders. And the purpose in Ephesians 4, 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie, they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. God has given pastor teachers, God has given elders to the church so that we will not be influenced by all these false doctrines. And the world today, as it always has been, is full of these winds of false teachings blowing every direction. But we are to stand firmly and follow our shepherds as they lead us in the right path. The elders of the church are those men charged with humbly but fearlessly keeping the church on the right path and protecting the sheep from attack. I'm going to read again from Acts chapter 20 where Paul says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That is the job of a shepherd. That is the job of an elder. So what is this gospel that we're protecting, that we're preserving, that God has charged the church with preserving? Every human being is a rebel against God and is under his righteous condemnation, an eternal death sentence in hell. God's plan from eternity was to pay the penalty for our sin himself in the person of his son, Jesus, by pouring his wrath out on his own son, which he did while Jesus was dying on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and in order to receive Jesus' payment for our sins and forgiveness and reconciliation to God, we must, being enabled by the Holy Spirit, realize our lost condition and put our trust in the sacrifice of Christ alone. So a local church is to be led by a team of elders who are responsible to shepherd and teach the church. We as a church, in caring for them, are to honor our elders by following where they lead and supporting them financially. We are to keep the elder team 
in a place of honor by confronting elders who have sinned and officially rebuking them and removing them from office if necessary. That keeps the elders in a place of honor. And this plan protects the truth of the gospel by which God will be glorified throughout all eternity. I'm thankful for the elders that we have here at GBC. I'm thankful for this church in the way that they care for our elders. I pray that we would continue to look for ways to support and care for our elders and that the gospel that we have been entrusted with would be something that we would continually support and share. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you have a plan unlike any other religion in the world where you have paid for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you that you'll be glorified through this plan and through your character of love, mercy, justice, and righteousness throughout all eternity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.